following program is from the Latin Pulse archives, so some of the news items included are no longer current. This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week we have a special focus on elections. A handful of countries in Latin America will hold presidential elections in the next year. Two of them next week. And we have the results to report of Argentina's recent presidential race. Here's a clue. Our pundits were right about the outcome. So let's go right away to Vanessa Hazes-Gonzati with the results of that election and look forward to next weekend's elections in Guatemala. Vanessa also has the rest of the highlights of news from around Latin America this week. Former Vice President of Guatemala, Eduardo Stein, says things could get messy if the second round election results in his country are too close. Guatemala will determine who their new president will be on November 6th. Polls show the two candidates, Otto Perez Molina and Manuel Valdizón, are in a tight race. At an event held by the Inter-American Dialogue in Washington, D.C., Stein said the two major concerns of the population are security and economic issues. That is a prominent issue for Guatemalan voters. Who could solve the insecurity problems of the country? But it's being a much more complex issue. It has also to do with uh, income opportunities, job opportunities, and in general, the, the situation of the economy, which is the second, uh, and in some territories, a distant second from the first motivator. But those are the two issues that will decide the vote of Guatemalans in the elections to come. Even though he says he cannot predict the results, he assures that whoever gets elected will have to deal with budget and foreign policy issues. In Mexico, the administration of Felipe Calderón moves away from the fields and into the city to fight the country's drug war. According to reports by the U.S. government, since President Calderón ordered troops into the streets in 2006, marijuana farming has almost doubled in Mexico. This is causing increased tension between the two neighboring countries. One of the main strategies for the U.S. and Mexico for decades has been the eradication of crops in the field. U.S. official of the Drug Enforcement Administration, Rodney Benson, praises Mexico for its fight against cartels in the cities but reminds the government that it needs to do both. President Calderón says the United States has done little to control the flow of weapons and drugs into Mexico and that the demand of drugs in the north appears to be insatiable. Hermes Sanchez, a candidate for mayor in one of Colombia's southwest towns, quit the mayoral race after months of guerrilla pamphlets calling him a military target. Sanchez is the father of three, and rebels made it clear that his family would also be at risk. The regional elections will take place on Sunday, and according to experts, violent groups seek to decide who gets elected by making threats. Alejandra Barrios, director of Colombia's electoral observation mission, says that local power is the real power in the country. The organization says at least 41 candidates have been murdered since February. That is almost twice as many as in the same period four years ago, when the last election for mayors, governors, and municipal councils was held. 
Former Argentine naval officer Alfredo Astiz is going to prison for life for crimes against humanity during the military dictatorship in Argentina from 1976 to 1983. Known as the Blonde Angel of Death, Astiz was found guilty of murder, torture, and forced disappearance. The court sentenced him and 11 other former military and police officers. They all worked at the Naval Mechanical School in Buenos Aires, which was the biggest secret torture and killing center set up by the military during what was called the Dirty War. About 90% of the prisoners never made it out alive. Less than a week ago, Argentina held presidential elections. The nation has chosen Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner for a second term. So what helped her succeed? Nadia Baston has the details. Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner won the absolute majority, 54% of the votes, according to the final vote count for the general elections. Did it surprise anyone? Daniel Kerner was one of the experts at a panel at the Woodrow Wilson International Center in Washington. He says that this outcome was predicted long before the elections. Everyone was expecting this result for the past several months, so there, there wasn't any surprise that she would do very well. And she did beating the runner-up candidate Ricardo Alfonso by nearly 38%. Daniel Kerner says the Argentine government implemented good economic and social policies that are beneficial for the nation. Feeling that their lives are better, uh, especially in economic terms. Not only the economy has been growing at very fast levels, unemployment is very low, real income is rising, and the government has decreased the number of people that receive pensions and provided subsidies such as a per-child subsidy to improve their economic well-being. Economists predict President Fernandez de Kirchner will have to face a number of fiscal and monetary problems in the next four years. But after her victory, she looked as if she's up to a challenge. Nadia Betson for Latin Pulse. Well, that's all the time we have for today for the news from all around Latin America. I'm Vanessa Jesus-Gonzari reporting for Latin Pulse. Thanks, Vanessa. And now our first in-depth interview this week, where our focus will be the upcoming elections in Nicaragua. President Daniel Ortega is running for re-election, despite the fact that Nicaragua's constitution forbids consecutive terms. His main opponents include former President Arnoldo Aleman and Fabio Gadea, the owner of Radio Corporación, one of the leading conservative media voices in Nicaragua. Joining us to discuss the elections is political scientist Manuel Orozco, who is a senior associate at Washington, D.C.'s Inter-American Dialogue. Manuel is from Nicaragua and he is an expert on politics in Central America. Welcome to Latin Pulse. What's our, your outlook for the Nicaraguan elections? Is this a case where the Sandinistas and Daniel Ortega easily maintain power? Yes, this is an election that has been pretty much on the making for the victory of Daniel Ortega for the past two years. He crafted a political strategy that will get him re-elected, not only from making sure that the political um, opposition will be fragmented, but also in terms of securing the, the support of the institutions, particularly the Supreme Court and the Electoral Council, for him to be considered to be re-elected, to participate in a second round, uh, on a second term. And this is basically the outcome of that. And his third strategy has been basically to utilize um, public support, public funding, to provide populist approaches to the population, and that has secured him substantial support. There are two strong candidates on the right in this election, former President Aleman 
and as we said, Fabio Gadea. Are there any alternatives on the left besides Ortega? No, no, no. Ortega is the left. He represents basically the progressive view uh, in Nicaragua, and he has monopolized that perspective. Um, the party that is led by Cadea has a vice president runner, um, El Mundo Jarquín, who belongs to the MRS, the Movimiento de Renovación Sandinista, which is a reformist uh, Sandinista movement that is split from the FSLN and criticized the hierarchic nature of the FSLN. But this is a party basically run by intellectuals, by upper middle class, uh, progressive individuals who really don't have much close relationship with the base. Um, and it doesn't have much support in general from the total population. Even the, the Gadea party, which is the second uh, right now in the polls, uh, is far behind from uh, Daniel Ortega. The, the current landscape shows that Daniel Ortega has at least 50% support in the election, um, and Gadea doesn't have more than... Uh, so he's very far behind. I'm wondering why the Sandinistas and Daniel Ortega continue to get this strong base support in Nicaragua, uh, a very poor country, and one that some would say the Sandinistas haven't managed well um, at any time that they have been in office. The reasons actually um, are pretty much clear. It's just a matter of understanding that um, no one was has been prepared to take the risk to make some changes in the country. The, the first one is precisely that the private sector has have, has given very low political risk to reform, uh, to improve democracy in the country. And instead, they have maintained a relatively warm relationship with the powers that be, including the FSLN, but also uh, the group of, of Aleman. Uh, so that really basically has been a, a poor standing on the side of the private sector. The second reason is that um, the FSLN has maintained near dominance in national politics in 79. They are a very strong, organized, and powerful uh, popular party. They have had at least 30% political support. And the opposition has never been prepared to recognize that this is a legitimate, uh, valid political party. Um, and the third issue is that this is a very fragmented, fragmented opposition. The opposition in Nicaragua basically suffers from an ability to build consensus among its um, elites, among its leaders, and instead they fragment themselves with the belief that they have a better position at defeating uh, the FSLN. And so you have a number of opposing groups, none of them that are prepared to form coalitions and basically have a, by a two, one-by-one uh, one, uh, struggle against Ortega. The first reason is that you have a very weak civil society, to some extent repressed by the Sandinista regime. Um, and then you have the problem of poverty. This is a very poor country. The population really needs to think of very practical ideas, one solutions that are short-term based, to deal with their day-to-day -day living, like getting food on the table, and Ortega has delivered uh, that. So, you know, the, these factors really influence. The, the Catholic Church, which traditionally has been very influential in the country, is also 
an institution that has placed very low political risk onto challenging the powers of being. So they were prepared basically to get the blessing of Ortega in exchange of Ortega advocating for some conservative approaches. And the, the implications are just substantive. I, I would like to talk about coalition politics in, in Nicaragua in, in, in just a bit, but first a, a technical note to our listeners that this week Manuel Orozco is joining us not in our studio, but he is joining us via Skype, and so there may be some technical sound issues that are different than we've heard in the past. Um, back to the issue of coalitions in, in Nicaragua. This is one of the critical studies of this particular election is that um, people have said there is no chance to defeat Daniel Ortega and the Sandinistas at the polls because there was no coalition. When there have been coalitions in the past where the various small parties and opposition parties have come together with one candidate, then usually the Sandinistas have lost. Is that true? Well, the Sandinistas have only lost, um, not exactly when there is coalition. They, they lost because their, their timing wasn't right to, to win. Um, the, the time where there was a coalition that defeated him was in 1990, and that was basically a special circumstance. The country was on the, uh, in the process of a transition from war to peace settlement. There was pressure from the United States and other parts of the world to democratize and to let, push the Sandinistas out of government. From that point on, in 2005, the election that got Aleman, uh, in 1995, excuse me, that got Aleman uh, winning, it wasn't exactly a coalition. Uh, it's just that this was a party that has grown stronger. Um, it's a, one of the oldest parties in Nicaragua. And then the following election that got Mr. Bolaños um, elected, this was the continuation of the Aleman government. And the continuation really reflected poor management, poor performance and leadership on the side of Mr. Bolaños, who had good intentions, but he really couldn't um, maintain the same type of follow-up that Aleman had kept. But in addition to that, his party was completely discredited by the fact that Mr. Aleman, the main leader of the party, had been accused and tried for fraud and theft and put in jail. So the party was basically weak. That's the station which you have substantial fragmentation among the different opposing parties. So in return, when I, um, the next election comes in, Ortega wins easily. Do you have a uh, quick prediction of what will happen? Well, I can't predict the election because the election is already decided. So. Ortega will win, but that's not my prediction. I think the critical issue is to see what are the implications of Ortega's victory. And I think um, the, there are four issues that one needs to, be, to consider. One is that uh, he will win with a substantial majority. He will get more seats in Congress, too. But he will also try to bring up more of a moderate kind of governing, um, try to build alliances. Uh, but with new political leaders, with new cadres who are not part of the group, the group that belongs to Aleman's party, including Aleman, as well as the group that comes from Mr. Gadea. So what kind of coalition he will build in order to have a, a pseudo-government of unity is one of the issues that is likely to emerge. I don't think he will try to be 
this authoritarian ruler who will do whatever he wants because he has the power. Um, and so the, there's been growing social protest from different groups, which is some sort of a paradox. On the one hand, you see um, that there is public support on Ortega, but on the other hand, there are certain issues that are being discussed. One of them is more uh, liberties for civil society. A third issue that one needs to consider is that the economic growth on Nicaragua is uncertain. Finally, we don't know what's going to happen with the relationship to the United States. The United States has chosen to follow um, a path of relative indifference towards Latin America. And its only approach has been relating to organized crime and how to deal with that segment. Well, we'll have to have you back on the program, Manuel Orozco, after your prediction that uh, Ortega and the Sandinistas will, will triumph. And we can talk more about um, the coalition building and perhaps the um, renewed benevolence of that government. <laughs> with that, um, thank you for joining us on Latin Pulse, uh, Manuel Orozco of the Inter-American Dialogue. A restless energy blows across the globe. The desire for human rights. Yet every day, people are tortured, imprisoned, executed, or disappeared. Simply for their identity or their beliefs. That's why Amnesty International speaks out. To protect people's basic human rights. To change the sounds of suffering to the sounds of freedom. Call 1-800-AMNESTY. It's your human right. 1-800-AMNESTY. Recently, Venezuela's Supreme Court made headlines because it rejected a ruling of the Inter-American Court of Human Rights regarding next year's presidential elections in Venezuela. The ruling involves Leopoldo Lopez, the leader of Voluntad Popular, or the Popular Will Party. Lopez is positioning himself as the lead challenger to Venezuela's president, Hugo Chavez. Venezuela's high court says Lopez will be allowed to run for president, but it's unclear if he wins whether he'll be allowed to take office. This all stems from allegations of corruption leveled at Lopez by a Venezuelan electoral commission, allegations that were never tried in court. Nevertheless, the commission ruled Lopez could not take an office where he would oversee the use of public funds until 2014. Joining us to discuss this complex issue in the election process in Venezuela is David Smolansky, a student leader for Voluntad Popular, we should point out that much of the opposition to President Chavez has risen out of Venezuela's universities. David Smolansky, welcome to Latin Pulse. Thank you so much. Please tell us your reaction to the court's decision in the case of Leopoldo Lopez. Well, the court's decision uh, in Venezuela is uh, another sign that the government is uh, really afraid that um, Leopoldo Lopez could be the next uh, president. This is not a, a new uh, challenge that we are facing. The first uh, obstacle that Leopoldo Lopez and the people who's been with him since uh, many years was in, in 2008 when he tried to be uh, mayor of Caracas and he was not allowed to. Uh, he couldn't even um, uh, uh, subscribe his name in the Electoral Council. So um, uh, after that, it was created the Voluntad Popular, which, uh, which is started as a social uh, movement. Right now it's a political party. And as you said, um, the Inter-American Court of Justice allowed Leopoldo Lopez uh, in September 16th of this year to uh, register in, in the Electoral Council and participate in the elections. Uh, that's, that's a very important decision from the Inter-American uh, Court of Justice because it was the first case 
of political rights that was uh, um, treated, discussed in that, um, in that court. And, well, the Supreme Court in Venezuela then uh, made this uh, sentence that uh, he could participate, that he could uh, make a campaign, even he could be elected, but um, maybe he could not run as a president. Well, what we are saying right now in Venezuela, because Leopoldo Lopez is now a, a pre-candidate and he's, um, he's visiting every state in Venezuela, is, well, if he wins, who will say that he, will, he could not be a president? Because it's not a thing that is against Leopoldo Lopez. It's against the million of people that will vote uh, for him. Uh, we're doing a, a very uh, difficult, uh, very uh, different works, sorry, in, in Venezuela. In my case, I am the, the national uh, uh, coordinator of the youth of Voluntad Popular. We celebrated our elections three months ago where more than 100,000 people participated, which was a very important um, uh, thing that happened in, 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 in Venezuela because it was the first time in more than 20 years that a political party celebrated an open elections. And that's one of the things that Leopoldo Lopez is, is so popular in Venezuela because he promotes participation. He promotes democracy. He has opened the doors to many youngs that wants to uh, get involved in politics and, 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 and design different policies that we can um, to improve our, our country right now. So let's remember something. When Leopoldo Lopez in 2008 was, uh, for the first time, was not allowed to participate in, in the elections to be a mayor of Caracas, uh, he was finishing um, um, uh, as a mayor of a small district in Caracas. His name is Chacao. By that moment, he had a more than 90% of approval. And that's why the government is so afraid, because uh, he has shown that uh, when, with transparency and, 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 and work ethics, uh, things in politics in Venezuela and in public administration could be different. You may or may not be aware that this week the Venezuelan embassy to the United States issued an open letter to people in America about this particular case, saying that the media had portrayed it incorrectly, that um, Mr. Lopez was going to be given all of his rights to participate in the election, but that they also rejected the Inter-American Court's decision because they felt that there were some jurisdictional issues and didn't agree with parts of what the court had to say. Well, again, as I said before, uh, the government is really afraid of the, the, the chance that Leopoldo Lopez could be elected as a president. Leopoldo Lopez has been visiting every state of, of Venezuela since uh, 2009. He's, has has gone to every state like four, five, six times, which is not all the candidate has done that. And, and he has, he knows very well right, right now the problems that we have in Venezuela. And also we have, and he has very good um, proposals to solve our problems, especially uh, crime and health and education uh, infrastructure. Um, I have to say that, uh, that uh, two, uh, 10 days ago, we have a, a survey that um, that sh showed that uh, almost 60% of population in Venezuela think that Hugo Chavez is afraid of Leopoldo Lopez, that Hugo Chavez is afraid to compete with Leopoldo Lopez for the presidency in 2012. The same survey uh, uh, shown 
that after Leopoldo Lopez was allowed from the Inter-American Court of Justice, uh, he became first in, in, the, um, in, the, in the service of the opposition precandidates with 34%. I'm saying this because before we faced uh, the presidential elections, October 7th next year, we're having uh, primaries in the opposition in February, where a uh, few um, uh, candidates, which is a, a very important thing also for participation and democracy, because we're expecting more than 2 million people to vote on February 12th to elect our unique candidate to face Hugo Chavez. How about some of these allegations that the Chavez government have put forward regarding Mr. Lopez? They've said that he's corrupt. Uh, they said that he represents the the oligarchy in, in Venezuela, that, that he represents the long entrenched instruments that, that did not serve the country before um, Chavez and, and his supporters came to power. So how do you respond to those particular critiques? Well, but uh, the, uh, Leopoldo has, uh, has not um, even gone to trial in Venezuela. Uh, they just say he's corrupt. They just say that, uh, that he represents just a minority of uh, people in Venezuela. But the thing is that he was not allowed to participate in, in elections in, in 2008, and he didn't even get a trial. That's the, that's the unconstitutional uh, um, uh, thing that he, that he, uh, uh, he was uh, faced in, 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 in that moment. No? This seems to be going at President Chavez at his strength, because he has been a, a populist, someone who is, has said that he is a champion of the poor in Venezuela, and, and has worked on social progress during his time in office? Well, he's not a champion of the poor anymore. I could tell an example, for example, in, in, tell an example. in 2008, um, the, when we have regional elections in Venezuela, uh, a neighborhood, its name is Petare, which is the poorest area not only in Venezuela but also in Latin America, uh, was won by the opposition. It uh, was won by um, Mayor Carlos Ocariz, which is from another political party. And, um, for example, the decrease of crime in, in Petare is, uh, is, uh, is, is, is amazing how, how he has worked in just uh, three years. So uh, I don't think Chavez is a champion of the poor anymore. People are uh, disappointed in Venezuela that, that the promises that Chavez uh, made 10 years ago has not been uh, accomplished. Um, uh, people are also seeing a guy that is almost 60 years old, which is now has uh, apparently a cancer that has n has not s s accept some uh, social programs, has not anything good for 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 Venezuela, and there is a time for a for a new uh, government, and that also, which is important from the opposition, that is right now united and have a public compromise to work all together, not just to win the elections, but to govern together to solve our problems. If Lopez wins in the primaries, in this pre-election phase, is Venezuela headed toward a constitutional crisis then, if he has the potential to win? Well, uh, it shouldn't be a constitutional problem because uh, I have to remember that uh, Article 23rd and 31st of our Constitution says that uh, the Venezuelan uh, state has to um, respect decisions that comes from an Inter-American uh, Inter Court of Justice. So um, if Leopoldo Lopez uh, wins uh, the elections uh, in October, well, it's, I, I, it will, will respect the, the Constitution that's, 
they like like everyone has to to do. And when we talk about October, we're talking about October 2012 is is when these elections will take place. October 7th. I, I, so I'm I'm wondering um, your response to the government's charges. We never really got to that about. Um, the fact that Lopez really represents the oligarchy in Venezuela, that he represents the interests of the empire, which is how the the government refers to the United States. Um, what do you say to those? Well, it's just rhetorical speech that the government always has. Uh, the, the, the ones that are against the government uh, represents the empire, represents the oligarchy. As I said, there's an example of what happened in Petare in 2008. There's an example of other places that um, has been lost, how um, the government has lost. Well, the, the, the people and the international community has to be um, um, very aware of what's going on in Venezuela, that uh, we promise that we are working together, that we are united, and, and uh, we are sure that we're going to have a, a new government in Venezuela next year. And the more important thing is that we're going to work together to resolve uh, our problems. David Smolansky, thank you for joining us on Latin Pulse. David Smolansky of Voluntad Popular of Venezuela. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. And to see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www. Dot linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. And if you'd like to write us with your reactions to our program, please send us an email. You can find us at latinpulse.gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, dot gmx.com. Thank you for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For associate producer Vanessa Jesus Gonzati and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nosotros. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University's School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2011, Las Rocas Productions. Music